name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we commemorate the Holy Fathers of the Fourth Ecumenical Council, which took place in 451. This council was attended by approximately 630 bishops or their representatives uh, from throughout the world in the, in the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And these councils were very important because they, as they addressed the various heresies that arose regarding uh, the beliefs about the Holy Trinity, about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus Christ himself, uh, these things were refuted by the church. The church didn't say, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, they, the, you know, the bishops came together in council, not once, but many times. And seven of these occasions we refer to as ecumenical councils because of the weight of the, deter of the decisions that were made uh, at these councils. They literally staked out the boundaries of the faith that has been passed down to you and to me. You know, we don't just make up a faith, okay? Well, we believe that which has been believed everywhere, always, by all. Uh, and so this council was a very important council. It was held in what is modern-day uh, Kadikoy. I'm not sure if that's pronounced right, the right pronunciation. I think it is in Turkey, a city in Turkey. Uh, it approved this. This council approved the creed of the first ecumenical council of Nicaea in 325. It approved the creed of Constantinople in 381, which subsequently became known as the Nicene Creed. The Creed of Nicaea was the earliest, earliest version of the Nicene Creed, which was uh, <clears throat> tweaked, as it, if you will, uh, in 381 at the Council of Constantinople. Uh, uh, this council also uh, approved of two letters written by St. Cyril of Alexandria against Nestorius, who was a heretic, that taught that Christ not only had two, two natures, but he, had, he was two different persons, <laughs> two different people. Two different persons, I should say. Uh, <clears throat> and finally, and this is what I'm more concerned about today, it gave the approval, this council gave the approval of the, what is known as the Tome of Pope Leo, which confirmed the two distinct natures of Jesus Christ and rejected the heresy of monophysitism, which held that Christ's divine nature, divine nature uh, as it were, swallowed up uh, his human nature. In today's gospel, uh, which is excerpted from our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, the predominant theme of our Lord's words is that of righteousness. He describes the joy of following Christ as a way of life, which leads us and those with whom we interact on the path of salvation. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, he says. <clears throat> Yesterday we had a vacation church school. Daniel, Elizabeth, and many others worked so hard. It was an excellent, excellent experience for our children. And I asked them the question that I ask most years. I said, if this building were to burn down tonight, would we still have St. Peter Orthodox Church? Would it still exist? And they got the question right, 100%. Uh, 
They all nodded their head, absolutely. Because the church is not brick and mortar. The church is you. It is I. It is the people of God. This can be rebuilt. I'm not saying this is trivial or not important. Obviously it is. It's God's house. But the church essentially is the body of Christ, made up of people who are being saved, who are being sanctified, who are becoming like God. That is our calling. Um, And and our Lord in uh, Matthew 5.16 says, Today, he says, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What a great statement. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. The law itself, the Mosaic law, is not evil. It can't save us in and of itself. But it represents to the world God's standard of holiness. And as it were, it gave a a moral fence for the Israelites who were going all over the place. But our Lord came to fulfill that. So our Lord tells us that His life in us, that divine light, this theme of light is so important in Orthodox theology. That that divine light is revealed in us and through us by our good works. How we live, what we do with our time, day in and day out. And St. Paul writes the same thing to Titus in today's epistle. He writes... uh, He said, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for men. Uh, Let us go back now to the Council of Chalcedon, uh, this fourth ecumenical council. Why was it so important? Why was it so important to affirm both the divine and the human natures of Christ. What we believe is important. And the church, the Orthodox Church, has always been precise about what we believe. Uh, We worship God in spirit and in truth. And so that's important, very important, essential. So why was it so important to affirm both the divine and human natures of Christ? Because the efficacy of both the sacrifice of Christ and the triumph of our Lord Jesus were dependent on the mystery of his incarnation and his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God the Father. He came to give give sight to all of humanity which had been blinded by the curse of sin and death. Whereas the first Adam and the first Eve had disobeyed God and set in motion the powers of darkness, the second Adam, Christ himself, and the second Eve, the Theotokos, through their obedience made it possible for each of us to live righteous lives by the grace of God. And that grace is given to us by God in his church 
when we partake of the sacramental life of the church, when we partake of Holy Communion, we partake of His glorified human nature. He took, as Bishop Basil said one time, He took dirt into heaven. He didn't become a human being just for 33 years. No, He became a human being forever because He loves you. He joined Himself to our race, but He never stopped being God. The so-called hypostatic union, the union in one hypostasis, the union in one person of these two natures. That's what the church has always believed. That's what the church has always taught. That's what the church has always lived. The very life of God is communicated to us and is to be shared with all those whom we encounter. St. Paul uses the term, which I love, that we are to become ambassadors for Christ. Uh, just last week in our gospel reading, our Lord referred to, the, to his future apostles as fishers of men. Uh, <clears throat> St. Gregory Nazianzus writes, That which is not assumed is not healed. He became as we are in every respect apart from sin. So Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, calls you and me, my dear friends. He calls us to a life which is his life in us. A synergy between God and man. A cooperation between the Holy Trinity and us poor sinners. Why would he stoop to that? Because that is how great his love for you is. He doesn't love humanity as a, this mass of humanity. He loves each and every one of you. Even I. Even me. <laughs> uh, he doesn't negate the Mosaic law. He fulfills it. He calls you and me to this purpose. We can't produce this kind of life on our own power. But we are called to love God with all of our hearts and our neighbor as ourselves. With love that places the needs of others before our own. Righteousness is more than merely correct behavior. It originates in the hearts of men and women. Let us examine ourselves to make sure that we are not hiding the light of Christ which has been freely given to us. Just like Christ we are called by God not to destroy, but to fulfill the kingdom, his kingdom. So I encourage you to contemplate the virtues of God on a regular basis. Because good works come out of these virtues. Uh, these, these virtues are the energies of God that are communicated to us in the sacramental life of the church. But it is not automatic. It is not mechanical. It is not an entitlement, certainly not an entitlement. None of us is worthy of these, by the way. It is His grace and His mercy that He gives to us to make us something that we could never possibly become otherwise. <clears throat> I encourage you 
to contemplate, to spend a little time uh, contemplating the virtues of God. <clears throat> uh, I want to just share just a, a very briefly, just a few. Uh, and these are just excerpts from uh, one of the uh, textbooks that I, that I used in uh, one of the courses I took on spirituality from St. Tikhon's Seminary many years ago uh, by Father Dimitri Staniloy, a Romanian priest and theologian. Uh, the virtue of self-control. Self-control, that's a virtue. Uh, say, uh, Father Dimitri says, self-control freely exercised by a believer isn't a restraint from the ascent to God, but the departure from evil things. The purpose is to keep that person from total submersion in the world. Another virtue, the guarding of one's mind and or thoughts. Uh, watchfulness and the blockade of the senses helps the mind to concentrate, to meditate on itself. The primary purpose of this, is, of this return to itself is to observe its thoughts, to, to scrutinize its thoughts. As we have seen, the Holy Fathers teach that our passionate thoughts are put into our consciousness most of the time by Satan. Long-suffering, the patient endurance of troubles. Stan Alloy writes, Evagrius and St. Maximus the Confessor say that God leads man to the peaks of perfection in a positive and negative way. The first, called providence, draws man upward in a positive way by the beauty of the good, by the logoi of things, by the inner stimulations of his conscience, and in general by everything which God has done and is doing for us. The second judgment includes various punishments from God, which God gives us as a result of sins to attract us, to attract us from evil things, various privations of happiness to urge us to seek perfection. Meekness and humility. Meekness and humility are the flowers that grow from the patient endurance of troubles and from hope. Meekness is born after the passions of anger have been eliminated from our nature through patience. It comes immediately after humility. Just a little taste of something that is very deep and rich. Let me close my homily. I've been long-winded, I realize. I don't like long homilies, but I had a lot to say today. I'm going to close with a quote from St. Peter, 2 Peter, that is to say, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and following. As his divine nature has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to which by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust but also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge 
to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.